Good evening. Uh, my name is Tandikam Kandawire. I'm Professor of African Development at London School of, London School of Economics. Uh, I would like to welcome you all to the second Steve Biko Memorial Lecture uh, Europe at LSE. This is a joint event between LSE and the Steve Biko Foundation and I would like to extend a particularly warm welcome to friends and associates of the Foundation with us today. Tonight's event will be recorded and, um, and should be available on, it should be pod, podcast and, um, and available on, online. And may I ask you, those of you who may have, uh, I must, starting with me of course, switch off, <laughs> switch off your mobile phones and I'll set up a good example by doing that. And if you are into technology and you would want, to, would like to tweet to, to tweet the, uh, to tonight's talk, the LSE Twitter hashtag is LSE, hashtag LSE Biko, for those of you who are using uh, Twitter. I'm delighted to have Mr. Adama Samasako here. I'll introduce him more fully uh, uh, in, in a moment, but first I'd like to introduce Ms. Obenawa Amposa, Director of International Partnership of the Steve Biko Foundation, who has some words to say. Please come. Thank you, Prof. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's really a pleasure to be back here at LSE. Um, we, we are really a small community development organization on the southern tip of Africa, and it's really only through partnerships with groups like LSE that we're able to host initiatives of this nature. And it's wonderful to see so many familiar faces who were also with us last year. I'd also like to acknowledge some of our partners who are here from the Steve Biko Housing Association, represented by its CEO, Ms. Tracy Gore, and board members, Allison Navarro, as well as Mr. Femi Shawande. I'd also like to recognize Darlene Martin from the Phoenix Housing Association, and of course members of the Biko family, represented by our CEO, Mr. Nkosanati Biko, as well as his sister, Maklatsi. Stand up and show yourself to the people. So you can probably tell from my voice, all of a sudden I realized I'm a little bit nervous and intimidated. <laughs> And I think I'm nervous and intimidated for a few reasons. I mean, one, this is LSE. But two, the topic that we're coming here to discuss tonight is really of critical importance, Pan-Africanism. Not just what it means in the historic context, but really what it means for us today. And for someone like me, whose name, voice, and location probably don't really come together, um, I'm of Ghanaian descent, born and raised in the US, but living in South Africa. The topic of Pan-Africanism is, generally speaking, top of mind. But more than my own personal reflection, I think that I'm part of a generation of people, many of whom are in this room, who are really beneficiaries of the legacy of people like Kwame Nkrumah, Patrice Lumumba, and of course, Steve Biko. And many of us are thinking about, in our separate spaces and places, how we advance the legacy that they talked about and make real the promises that they articulated during the independence struggles. And so that's really the critical topic that we'll be looking at tonight. And that's really what our work at the Steve Biko Foundation is about. How do we create spaces where people from all walks of life 
can come together to discuss some of the most critical issues facing Africa and the world in the 21st century. And at the foundation, we really do this through programmatic activities in three different areas that center on what I call the three C's. Consciousness, which is basically a sense of who you are and where you come from. Community, the notion of Ubuntu and that you're a person through other people. And then, of course, core skills, the things that will really enable us to make our visions real in the 21st century. And how we teach those things practically are through leadership development programs in the area of arts and culture, community health, economic justice, education, social history, and of course, social development. We also do a lot of work in the area of research policy and publications. And then of course, international dialogue, which is really what brings us here this evening. 2013, throughout the continent and the diaspora, has been a special year as people reflect on, again, Pan-Africanism and what it means today in celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Organization of African Unity. And this year, as we thought about what type of reflection to bring to LSE, we really couldn't think of any better person than Mr. Adama Samaseku, who for so many years has not only lived and breathed the ideals of Pan-Africanism, but has been one of its architects for the past several decades working in Mali as well as the African Union. So we thank him for being here with us tonight, and we thank all of you for being here tonight, and I thank you for excusing my nervousness. I probably should start off by <coughs> saying that I'm personally deeply honored to have uh, asked to chair this, this, uh, this, this evening, <coughs> evening's event and in honor of a, a man that I hold in, in extremely high esteem, Steve Biko. Uh, Steve Biko was important to a whole generation and remains important today. Perhaps besides many other things about him, the most important I thought was that he reminded us <coughs> that liberation was not simply a physical act but also an act of, of, the, of the spirit and of the mind. Most importantly, he, together with many other people, including today's speaker, people like Franz Fanon and Kwame Nkrumah, and so forth, warned against what they call the colonial mentality, in which the oppressed normalizes his or her condition, and in the worst cases, even ceases to imagine any possibilities of freedom. And I think people like Steve Biko reminded us that even in the darkest hours of apartheid, you could imagine being free, and that that imagination itself was, an, was a major force for liberation. So I obviously, uh, like many other Africans, has been very touched by and, and influenced by his thinking. And I can't imagine a better speaker for this evening than uh, Mr. Adama Seseku, who will be speaking tonight on the social cultural foundation of the 21st century new Pan-Africanist consciousness, and I, I would like to stress consciousness in the sense that as we imagine a future of an Africa, a 21st century Africa, again, as Biko stressed, consciousness will matter a lot. It gives me great pleasure then to introduce tonight's speaker. I'll be extremely brief in his introduction. If I went full force, it would take us the whole evening to do that. Uh, he is currently the president of the International Council for Philosophy and Human Humanistic Studies, which is <coughs> formally affiliated to UNESCO, and is the president of MAYA, the World Network for Linguistic Diversity. Previously, he was a Malian Minister of Education from 1993 to 2000, and spokesperson for the government of Mali from 1997 to 2000. 
He was a member of the Haute Conseil de la Francophonie from 2003 to 2006, and is today a member of the International Telecoms, Telecommunications Union and UNESCO's Broadband Commission for Digital Divide, which was as evidence of his commitment to community life, Mr. Samaseku was the founding chairman of ADEMA France and the founding chairman for Mali and Africa as a whole of the People's Movement for Human Rights Education. Since October 2005, he has been president of the Federation of IC Volunteers. <coughs> Mr. Samaseku was born and grew up in Mali, having completed his secondary school education at home, he obtained a Master of Arts in, in Philology and Linguistics from Lomonosov State University in Moscow and completed postgraduate studies in African Linguistics from the Sorbonne and in Organizational Science from the University de Paris Dauphin. This led him to become head of the Linguistic Department of the Institute of Sciences, of, 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 uh, Institut des Sciences Humaines of Mali and then Director of the National Library of Mali an advisor to the Minister in Charge of Culture. He speaks quite a lot of languages. You can only mention a few here. <laughs> he speaks Bambara, Songhai, Folfude, French, Russian, and English. He will speak for about approximately 40 minutes, and uh, he has agreed to respond to questions, have some debate after that. Dear friends, Thank you, uh, Professor, for this presentation. Thank you, Benewa. I would like first to greet you in one of our West African languages, as I do usually, because in Africa, when you start the meeting, you need to greet uh, each other and to uh, ask the Almighty to bless our meeting. It is what they will do in Mandenka for just a few seconds. Ambalmau auniula antlena herala lakaula heradama anga jamanau be adama denya sabatili baramina alaka nyambulu alaka beni kena sabati jamanau nyonge alaka beni kena sabati nyonge alaka nisababe. I just said that uh, I hope we'll spend a peaceful night after having had a peaceful afternoon. And I ask God the Almighty to help us in our work of preservation of human dignity. And I ask him to help us to unite peoples of the world and uh, to unite ourselves and to make of this space which we are in physically a good space for our talk. 
My friends from the Steve Yuko Foundation invited me to give the second European lecture dedicated to the memory of our brother in arms, the great freedom fighter, Bantu Steve Biko. This is a great honor for me. It is with renewed pleasure that I am once again working with Steve Biko Foundation, whose objectives I fully share. I welcome the Foundation's fierce determination to hold high the flame of Pan-Africanism, its firm intention to contribute to the awakening of African and non-African consciousness in order to encourage a united global fight for more social justice in Africa and in the world. Three years after delivering the fifth Roberts Sebukwe Memorial Lecture dedicated to the great Pan-Africanists of Southern Africa, it is an outstanding honor for me to have once again been requested by Steve Biko Foundation to give this second Steve Biko Memorial Lecture Europe within the very walls of the famous London Schools of Economics. Members of the Biko family, Your Excellencies, Professor Tandika Mkandawire, heads of departments, professors, students of the London Schools of Economics, members of the public, I would like to thank you most sincerely for your warm welcome. It is a real honor for me to share my thoughts with you on what I call the new Pan-African consciousness of the 21st century. When I ask my friends at SBF what they expected from my speech here today, the reply I got went as follows. From what we know of your vision, your constant deliberation on Africa, and your experience in making this vision a reality with the African Union, we believe that you could bring a message that would motivate African youth today. The notion of this message galvanized me. But how could I structure it? At times when crises are developing throughout Africa, in particular, the recent crisis that occurred in my country, Mali, or yesterday's crisis in Cote d'Ivoire, today's crisis in the Central African Republic, or older crises in Somalia, Eritrea, Sudan, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and before then in Rwanda, Liberia, and so on, and of course, the Libyan crisis in, and the consequences of the popular uprisings in the Maghreb and in Egypt, at a time when developing crises could validate and perpetuate a feeling of irreversible Afro-pessimism, how could I make my message relevant? But an Africa that no longer believes in itself is a desperate Africa whose unity is definitively compromised. Recalling where we come from, it is amazing to note 
that it was here in London in 1900 under the initiative of Henry Sylvester Williams that the idea of Pan-Africanism born in the diaspora began to spread among African intellectuals in UK. As articulated by George Padmore, Pan-Africanism was a manifestation of solidarity between Africans and people of African descent around the world. The first conference of Pan-Africanism aimed to be a forum for protests against land confiscation in South Africa and in Ghana by the Africaners and the English. Twenty years later, one of the Pan-Africanism leading lights, Webb Du Bois, further adapted Pan-Africanism. Under the influence of Du Bois, Pan-Africanism became an ideology of political action which sought to recognize the equality of the races and to improve the conditions of Africans globally and to include the most talented Africans into local government structures so as to transform them and challenge them from within. Marcus Mosai Garvey, another fourth leader in the Pan-Africanist tradition, adopted a more radical approach to Pan-Africanism, advocating it as an antidote to injustices done to black people. Practically, Garvey's Pan-Africanism was expressed as a repatriation movement calling for Afro-descendants to return to the motherland. This was reinforced by the legitimate desire to build a great Africa, home to both black Africans of the continent and the diaspora. Garvey's position catalyzed the evolution of the ideology from one of Pan-Africanism to Pan-Negrism. After the Second World War, at a time during which the principle of national self-determination was rising in former colonies around the world, the Fifth Pan-African Congress was held in Manchester in October 1945. Here, Pan-Africanism was further adjusted under the leadership of Du Bois and Kwame Nkrumah. In what was then a radical move, the Congress pledged to work for the total liberation and independence of Africa. In summary, by 1945, quoting Dumbi Fakoli, Pan-Africanism was defined as, I quote, the hope of a vast unified movement of Africans from the continent and the diaspora, acting in real solidarity to realize a strong and prosperous Africa within the community of nations, end of quote. During the next 30 years, the Pan-African movement made a tremendous contribution in Africa and the diaspora. It was an ideal that sustained freedom fighters on the continent and abroad, as evidenced by people such as George Padmore of Trinidad, Kwame Nkrumah of Ghana, Malcolm X of the United States, Ahmed Benbella of Algeria, Kenneth Kaunda of Zambia, Julius Nyerere of Tanzania, Patrice Lumumba of Congo, and countless other giants of African history. Following of the footsteps of these trailblazers, 
Bantu Stephen Biko articulated the need for African solidarity in the context of apartheid South Africa when he said, I quote, Black consciousness is an attitude of the mind and a way of life, the most positive call to emanate from the black world for a long time. Its essence is the realization by the black man of the need to rally together with his brothers around the cause of their oppression, the blackness of their skin, and to operate as a group to rid themselves of the shackles that bind them to perpetual servitude." End of quote. The creation of the Organization of African Unity in 1963, the year in which Biko's political consciousness was awoken, is testimony to the power of the ideals of Pan-Africanism. At a time when few regional organizations existed, and the United Nations itself was in its infancy, Pan-Africanists took the progressive step to create a continental body to drive the aspirations of Africa and her people. The central tenets of OAU, rightly or wrongly, were the total liberation of African countries, respect for territorial integrity, and the sovereignty of African states. At the outset, the ambition stated by some of the OAU, OAU's founding members, such as Kwame Nkrumah, Sekou Touré, Modibo Keita, and Gamal Abdel Nasser, was to create a United States of Africa. While the vision of the United States of Africa is still work in progress, the central aim of the OAU was achieved in that by 1994, the totality of the African continent was liberated from colonialism and apartheid. With that said, the post-colonial years in Africa were challenging ones in which we saw economic decline and political instability in many of our nations. Recognizing the new challenges the continent faces in the 21st century and the necessity of a new approach, on 9 September 1999 in Sirte, Libya, under the initiative of the late Muammar Gaddafi, the concept of the African Union was defined and the Constitutive Act was subsequently drafted by the Council of Ministers and presented in Lome, Togo, in 2000. This act was later adopted in Lusaka in July 2001. The irony is that in the quest to find solutions for the 21st century, the historic objective of the Pan-Africanism, the United States of Africa, was revived. The transformation of OAU into AU was marked in Lusaka by two other critical decisions. The first being the launch of the New African Initiative, which in October 2001 in Abuja became NEPAD, the New Pan Partnership for Africa's Development. The second critical decision was to establish the African Academy of Languages, ACALAM. On one hand, the issue of Africa's economic development were to be tackled by NEPAD, 
while the issues of social cultural development were to be addressed by Akalan through the promotion of African languages, highlighting the equal importance of economy and culture in developmental praxis. This distinction is important, given that uh, in the past 50 years, Africa has seen the creation of several sub-regional and regional integration experiments, generally with a strong economic component. Today, these include eight regional economic communities. The Economic Community of West Africa, of West African States, ECOWAS, the Economic Community of Central African States, ECAS, the Arab Maghreb Union, EMU, the Southern African Development Community, SADEC, the Common Market for Eastern and Southern Africa, COMESA, the Intergovernmental Authority on Development, IGAD, the East African Community, EEC, and the Community of Sahel Saharan States, CENSAT. Yet, without the sociocultural component, these regional bodies have failed to advance a holistic vision of Africa's development and have made only modest gains on the economic front. Hence, contemporary Pan-Africanism twin foresee on sociocultural and economic development. For the purposes of our discussion today, as indicated in my title, I will focus primarily on the sociocultural aspect of Pan-Africanism in the 21st century. First, let me say that in the creation of a new Pan-African consciousness for the 21st century, the African Union cannot be and should not be the only manifestation of Pan-Africanism. The OAU was often criticized as a club for heads of states, whereas the AU is intended to be a broader framework for the views of African peoples. This is evidenced by an increasing number of opportunities for citizens to engage with and in fact drive the Pan-African agenda. While the AU as a governmental body is adept at creating policies, it is only through the involvement of civil society that these policies will become realities that improve the quality of life for Africa and all of her peoples. In short, the AU was a union of head of states, while the AU is a union of African people. This is in fact the essence of the new Pan-African consciousness. This view was early on articulated by Steve Biko himself, whom we honor today, when he said in a letter to presidents of student representative councils, I quote, the blacks are tired of standing at the touchlines to witness a game that they should be playing. They want to do things for themselves and all by themselves, end of quote. Fortunately, among African youth, women and intellectuals from the continent and the diaspora, the ideals of Pan-Africanism are growing. This desire for greater involvement was expressed during conferences of intellectuals of Africa and the diaspora, SIAD, organized by the AU 
in Dakar, Senegal in October 2004, SIAD-1, and in Salvador de Bahia, Brazil in June 2006, SIAD-2. In addition, last May in Addis Ababa, during an intergenerational meeting organized by the African Union Commission on the occasion of the 50th anniversary of the Pan-African Organization, youth forcefully engaged the African head of states and government about the urgent need to strengthen African citizenship by establishing a Pan-African passport, ensuring free movement of Africans on African soil. From my perspective, this growing Pan-African desire is based on an increasingly strong awareness that Africans have a number of sociocultural factors in common, and that we can craft a common developmental agenda that goes beyond national boundaries and over divisions. Therefore, my belief is that it is necessary to return to our fundamental sociocultural values to promote the new Pan-African consciousness needed to meet the challenges of the 21st century. Going back to our social cultural fundamentals, it is first necessary to be aware of our cultural identity and the vital importance of our African languages as the bedrock of this identity. We are aware that beyond the diversity of languages and cultural threats of the continent, Africans have similar worldview, a cosmovision, which is reflected in a global cultural repository. From this perspective, it is right that the great African scholar, Czech Anta Job, has always supported the idea of the uniqueness of the African culture within diversity. One of the best examples of this uniqueness is what I call the African humanitude, neologism translating a concept shared by all African languages, Maya in Mandenka, Borotere in Songhai, Netaku in Pular, Nikte in Wolof, Ubuntu in the Bantu languages, etc. Each African citizen can find out this word in his or her language. This is our, let us say, permanent openness to others. Our relationship to the idea of humanity, our relationship as human to human, which requires solidarity, generosity, and the spontaneous welcoming of the other. In Africa, this natural attitude of coexistence is due to the conservation of educational principles and societal values in order to promote understanding, mutual respect, and consideration between all individuals. All these community-specific values, that is to say, Solidarity, sharing, caring, welcoming the other and hospitality allow the acquisition of behaviors and concepts better able to prevent conflicts and to manage them.
Today, if we would strengthen these values, it would strengthen relations between Africans from a pan-African perspective on the one hand, and on the other hand, help Africa to advance peace beyond the continent. It is Maudu Amadou Ampateba who said that of all the elements that characterize the individual from physical attributes to attire, it is language that remains the single most obvious, the most relevant. It is through language that we express our thoughts and that we communicate with others. It allows us, therefore, to share our cultural experience, our linguistic repertoire, and our choice of expressions determine who we are as well as the place and the circumstances of the moment. Because it transcends the individual in favor of the community, language is our property as well as our culture. It is through language that we acquire and transmit our knowledge and expertise that can master our environment. It is both the essence and the barometer of our development. Language is the most fundamental component of identity. From this point of view, it is undeniable that it is language that best expresses the creative genius of a people. Languages are the living expression of cultural, individual, and collective identities. Professor Joseph Kizerbo, in his book, A Quand l'Afrique, said, the question of language is essential because it affects people's identity. And identity is necessary for development and for democracy. Languages also affect the culture, the nation's problems, the ability to imagine, the ability to create. End of quote. So, if language is the most fundamental component of identity, how can we develop a Pan-African consciousness without enhancing African languages? How can we accept that 50 years after political independence, African languages are still not valued in the vast majority of African countries by making them working languages in all spheres of public life? Among the key contributions of the African Union to the emergence of a new Pan-African consciousness are the decisions taken at the special summit in Khartoum, Sudan, in January 2006, dedicated to culture and education. These decisions helped to strengthen the process of the African Renaissance. Among the decisions were the adoption of the revised charter for African Cultural Renaissance, the Revised Language Plan of Action for Africa, the status of ACALAN, the African Academy of Languages, the proclamation of the period 
of the second decade of education for Africa and its plan of action. Also articulated was the reestablishment of the link between culture and education. These texts, in particular the Charter, the Language Plan of Action and the Status of Akalan, are the most relevant to all AU member states that intend to design and implement an African language policy framework that takes into account a nation's socio-cultural and socio-economic fundamentals. It is significant that in the Charter, head of state and government have reiterated that, I quote, in spite of cultural domination during the slave trade and colonization, which resulted in the denial of the cultural personality of some of the African peoples, falsified their history, systematically disparaged and combated African values, and tried to replace their languages with those of the colonizers, African peoples have found in African culture the necessary strength for resistance and for the liberation of the continent. End of quote. The main objectives of the Charter are quite instructive. They are to assert the dignity of African men and women as well as the popular foundations of their culture, promote freedom of expression and cultural democracy, which is inseparable from social and political democracy, promote an enabling environment for African peoples to maintain and reinforce the sense and will for progress and development, preserve and promote the African cultural heritage through preservation, restoration, and rehabilitation, combat and eliminate all forms of alienation exclusion and cultural oppression everywhere in Africa, encourage cultural cooperation among member states with a view to the strengthening of African unity through the use of African languages and the promotion of intercultural dialogue, integrate cultural objectives in development strategies, encourage international cultural cooperation for a better understanding among peoples within and outside Africa, Promote in each country the popularization of science and technology, including traditional knowledge systems, as a condition for better understanding and preservation of cultural and natural heritage. Strengthen the role of culture in promoting peace and good governance. Develop all the dynamic values of the African cultural heritage that promote human rights, social cohesion, and human development. Provide African peoples with the resources to enable them to cope with globalization. In addition, the Language Plan of Action states that to achieve these objectives, member states solemnly commit themselves to perform an action that is based on the following program areas, encouraging associations, organizations, or institutions that have observer status with the African Union, or those applying to adopt local African languages as working languages. Given that all knowledge, specific or otherwise, is transmitted through a medium of instruction or communication, which is a language understood by the student, it is absolutely necessary for each member state to adopt, to adopt in its education policy as vehicles or means of education the local African languages that facilitate 
the learning process. As you know, in the vast majority of African states, still today, when the child goes to school, he has to learn in a language, he or her has to learn in a language in which he or her even doesn't think at home. This is a tragedy. Concerning the African Academy of Languages, we must remember that at the continental level, ACALAN is the highest body for instilling ideas, translating decisions on language policy, developing feasible action plans, helping to develop and implement more coherent language policies. Thus, the African Academy of Languages, which considers the African linguistic diversity as an asset, a resource rather than a constraint, have the ambition to make African languages true instruments of development and integration of the continent based on an approach that advocates the concept of functional convival multilingualism. Another essential basis of the new Pan-African consciousness of the 21st century is the teaching of African history. A seminal tool in the efforts to teach history is the monumental work that is the UNESCO General History of Africa, which articulates the history of the continent from an Afrocentric perspective and aims to contribute to decolonizing the mind. This work is now to be used through the new UNESCO African Union project, the pedagogical use of the general history of Africa. This project is also in keeping with the Charter for African Cultural Renaissance, which clearly states in Article 7, I quote, African states commit themselves to work for the African Renaissance. They agree on the need to reconstruct for reconstruction of memory and historical consciousness of Africa and the African diaspora. They consider that the general history of Africa published by UNESCO is a valid basis for the teaching of the history of Africa and recommend its widespread translation in African languages and its publication in shortened and simplified versions for the general public." End of quote. Only through embracing one's history and culture, by recognizing the commonality of the African identity, can Africa's people fully embrace a shared vision and agenda to realize the dream of Pan-African unity. So, in these times of crisis, it is useful to recall the glorious history of this continent, the cradle of humanity, in its constant search for dignity. It is useful and necessary to remind African youth that its people, black people, suffered and were martyred. But African people are a people of resistance. As Biko so eloquently articulated, I quote, the basic tenet of black consciousness, I would say new Pan-African consciousness, is that the black man must reject all value systems that seek to make him a foreigner in the country of his birth and reduce his basic human dignity." End of quote.
In keeping with this charge, African people have resisted in the face of slavery. Physical slavery, mental slavery, spiritual slavery, intellectual slavery, cultural slavery, political slavery, economic slavery, and a number of other affronts to our dignity. The contemporary generation must be reminded that this resistance was led by, let us say, religious militants, hurt fighters, such as the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., by activist intellectuals, mind fighters like Du Bois, Marcus Garvey, George Padmore, Franz Fanon, Aimé Césaire, Leopold Seda Senghor, Léon Gontran Damas, Alion Job, Sheikh Anta Job, Joseph Kizerbo. By political activists, freedom fighters for the community and society, such as Chemogo Garankuyate, Robert Mangaliso Subukwe, Kwame Nkrumah, Sekuture, Modibo Keita, Patrice Emery Lumumba, Stephen Bantu Biko, Thomas Sankara. By cultural activists, fighters for meaning and renaissance, such as Miriam Makeba, Mama Africa, Usman Semben. What about the living icon Nelson Mandela? How do we not mention the dedication of the heart fighter Desmond Tutu? How do we not evoke the remarkable contribution of Ngugi Wachongo to the fight for the decolonization of the mind? How do we not mention these cultural activists today, young rappers such as Talib Kweli, Zulu Boy, and the most emblematic of them all, Didier Awadi. But when will we have economic activists, fighters for justice and social peace, in keeping with our tradition of dignity and spirituality, as people who can still bring to this world of violence and loss of meaning a greater humanity, more humanity. Indeed, the African economic activists of the 21st century will no longer reproduce the bankrupt economic practices that have become the norm. They will rethink the practice of development in Africa from an Afrocentric perspective that emphasizes the culture of being rather than that of having. These economic activists, future leaders of Pan-African companies, will rely on the contributions of other Pan-African activists, religious, intellectual, men and women of culture and politics, to fully realize the new Pan-African consciousness of the 21st century. This new consciousness would be based on African societal values. It will be built from an African repository based on the concept of Maya Ubuntu, humanity, in order to achieve the paradigm shift 
as articulated by Joseph Kizerbo through a new global society. As a starting point to realize this vision, organizations such as the Steve Biko Foundation and other Pan-African networks in Africa and the diaspora can lead a project to achieve this new Pan-African consciousness that works towards the realization of an unbreakable unity of the continent, its peoples, through concrete initiatives. Thus, the slogan of Kuma at the 5th Pan-African Congress of Manchester in October 1945, colonial and suppressed peoples of the world unite. Today might echo the slogan of Pan-Africans of the 21st century, activists of universal humanity unite. To conclude my remarks, I cannot resist quoting the great Afro-optimist and Afro-patriot Robert Mangaliso Sobukwe, who in 1949 already said, I quote, I wish to make it clear again that we are anti-nobody. We are pro-Africa. We breathe, we dream, we leave Africa because Africa and humanity are inseparable. It is only doing the same that minorities in this land, the European, colored and Indian, can secure mental and spiritual freedom. The liberation of the African depends the liberation of the whole world. The future of the world lies with the oppressed and Africans are the most oppressed on earth. Not only in the continent of Africa, but also in America and the West Indies. The wheel of progress revolves relentlessly and all the nations of the world take their turn at the field class of human destiny. Africa will not equivoke it and she will be heard. Remember Africa. End of quote. And echoing my brother Bantu Steve Biko who said, being black is not a matter of pigmentation. Being black is a reflection of a mental attitude. I would say, I am black and I am proud, not because of my skin, but because of my culture of humanity. Asante sana, Majola, thank you for your attention. Shukran, merci pour votre attention, gracias por su attention. Muito obrigado pela sua attention. The tradition of the of LSC, so there, there will be a moment of, uh, okay. of questions. Uh, okay. And I will not do something which is 
very tempting for chairpersons to summarize somebody's speech. I will not do that. I will just. I found it extremely inspiring, and they're just pearls of, of wisdom and and massive reminder of where Africa has been and where Africa aspires to be. And the procedure here is that they will will ask you to you will have the uh, opportunity to ask questions and please identify yourself and uh, remembering that there's only one keynote speaker, don't make another speech and just make a question very brief and, um, and focused. There are mics circulating around somebody. Yes, please. Thank you. A very inspiring talk. Um, and I'm glad to hear that you say that the pan-Africanism of 21st century is not anti-anybody, but it is pro-African. Now, pro-African, yes. Now, see, in other words, it is to, it is to answer the, the problems of Africa. Uh, and a problem of Africa, of course, is development, one. And even more important is that that strife that is existed in Af Africa, the local, local, local conflicts, uh, local strife, and I think how Pan-Africanism can, can, what you call, help to reduce the level of conflict in Africa. I think if we can do something about that, it would be a great thing. Thank you. I'll take two more questions before we... Yes, please, in the back there. Thank you very much. I'm David. I'm an architect, and I'm South Sudanese. Uh, my question goes again. Thank you, Your Excellency, for uh, this beautiful presentation. Uh, I just wanted to say that sometimes it is sort of overemphasized the, uh, the sort of overall aspects of Pan-Africanism rather than the original ones. And an example is Sudan. I think this is really the best example that I can give, whereby. Um, for over 50 years, neither the OAU or the AU have been able to help the Sudanese people provide solutions or alternatives in a conflict that started culturally, rather than, you know, people tend to speak about, about, about religion, about uh, economics, but it was actually about culture, about the fact that African languages were not recognized. You know, you, could, you, 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 were, you were really seen as subhuman for the type of food that you would eat, whether it was bush meat or, or fufu or well, whatever it was. And this is really a problem. Now, if such an, such an organization as the AU has failed to do so in terms of culture for over 50 years, really, where are we going? We, we, we have failed to maintain the unity of such a big country full of cultures and religion. And really, the, 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 the conference that occurred in 2006, I think, was probably one of the most hypocritical because the Sudanese government has never accepted sub-Saharan African culture. It has never done that. And the fact that it took place in Khartoum and that other fellow African countries have you know, attended it and you know, sent delegates and without any uh, you know, remorse, I think this is really shameful. And I think this is one of probably the, the, the most disgraceful uh, you know, uh, episodes of, 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 of Pan-Africanism. It, it is actually going completely against it. It, it is being hosted by a regime that has completely trampled upon our rights. My name is uh, Ali Bilal. This is my surname. But my original surname, surname is Bakachingbere. It has been changed administratively because 
my grandfather was literally was not able was not able to register his name as African. They forced him to adopt the name Bilal instead of Bakachingbere. Now you are you, you are a veteran. I really want to know your 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 position on what has occurred in the past and really how do you think that things can go forward regionally speaking, not the, 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 the global aspects of Pan Africanism. Any questions? Yes, please. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fascinating thing, African languages, because uh, I've been to Ghana myself, and my mother taught uh, uh, for some time in Sierra Leone, Nigeria, and Ghana. And I heard the late Kwame Nkrumah speak many years ago in Ghana. Um, what I, I'm asking you, uh, African languages, one, how many? Our native languages are in Africa. It would be interesting if you know. And if you could say something about the late African languages and the French and English languages, so the dominant languages, which I suppose are the ex-colonial powers, which Africans speak in the ex-colonies, and the, what, what the relation will be for the African languages, which you mentioned, and English and French. I'm interested in your comments. Yeah, thank you so much for your interest. I think the first question was about how to reduce the conflicts, the local conflicts in Africa. This is a big issue. But I think if you uh, have heard my vision, I think we have left our core African societal values. This is why today we don't see each other as brothers, as belonging to a communality of uh, societal values, but rather as, um, how to say it, enemies. Uh, I don't know how to say it. My English is not so, you know, that's why I'm sorry if I don't um, speak uh, rightly what I want to say. I do believe that uh, we need a long process of re-educating our African citizens in order for them to come back to what I said and I call the culture of being. It means that uh, within this concept, concept of humanity, you see each other like another you yourself. This is like I said in several languages, in Mandenka language, West Africa it is Maya, in the Bantu languages it's Ubuntu, and in my language in Mandenka we say, I am a human being not because of I think I am a human being. I am a human being thanks to your eyes upon me, which made me a human being. And we have a lot of proverbs in our languages. We are educated in this move to say, for example, human being comes on this earth in the hands of human being and leaves this earth in the hands of human being. 
means that we are together and we see each other as another ourselves. We say also it's better to be rich in human relations rather than in goods. All that means that if we come back to this situation of seeing each other like brothers and developing brotherhood, sharing, for example, the same cultural vision, the same religion, because African religion in all Africa relates the Africans to the ancestors. If we share the same languages, because the content of the language, despite the disparity of languages, is the same. When you greet someone, you greet him with, within the environment. And it is the same in all our languages. So all these factors should make Africans see each other like brothers and work together. But today, I think one of the how to say it, one of the explanations is that our continent was divided in Berlin, 1884-1885. And the borders today are artificial. And across the borders, you have the same nationalities who are cross-cutting the borders. But in fact, the new leaders today, based on also the will of uh, people outside of Africa who want to master our continent, seek to put the emphasis on the divisions of the continent rather than what uh, uh, unites us. That's why I think the conflicts must be tackled from the point of view of coming back to what, in fact, unites us. Um, the situation of Sudan, of course, I agree with you. In fact, uh, that's why I quoted uh, the example of Sudan. Uh, what could I say? Uh, the case of Sudan could be in any country of Africa if we don't take care. For example, in my country, Mali, uh, the temptation was also to divide Mali between north and south. We never fought Mali, you know, like this, saying north part, south part, southern Mali, northern Mali. It became with this situation. And I think factors are various. You have, of course, indigenous factors, like the governance of the country. You have also exogenous factors countries liking to, to, to master the country because of uh, um, the wealth we have, uh, oil, uh, uranium, all these things makes our countries today very weak. And if we don't have a true leadership based on the interests of the country, the continent, of course, such situations will be uh, you know, every time. That's why I think and I believe that uh, it is more than time to really um, start a deep 
and wide process of new consciousness of the situation of our countries, of our continent, uh, in order to uh, awake the new generation about uh, our responsibility facing this situation. I think Sudan might be part of uh, uh, this new consciousness. But how to do it? This is your duty, your responsibility, as well as the responsibility of the uh, African Union. And I, myself, I hope that uh, we will have, if we work on that, new generation of African leaders who could really come back to the fundamentals. It is why I am talking about this new Pan-African Consciousness Review today. Uh, about African languages, I didn't hear very well. You said how much, how many languages, languages we have. In fact, Africa is supposed to host one third of the world languages. Two thousand out of six thousand languages in the world. And I'm not uh, discussing the, the the figure because. Uh, maybe it might be less or more because of uh, you know the the fact that across the borders you have the same language named after several names so this is another point but the reality is that uh, despite the pluralism of languages we have been able to communicate to live as, as africans because we all are multilingual me, myself, I speak three languages, but it is a few. Uh, you know, in our countries, you have people, our, uh, you know, uh, fathers and mothers, they, they spoke 10, 15 languages. And the problem of Africa is not to choose one language. This is, uh, I think, an, an heritage of the vision of one state, one nation state, one language, which is from our former uh, colonial masters. We live in the plurality of languages, and our language policy must be based today on the, the achievement of this pluralism uh, in, in a language policy, formal language policy, which will be based, as I said, on what I call the functional convivial multilingualism because one child can speak one, two, three, four languages and today our states must organize uh, the language policy in each country in order to preserve this linguistic diversity and to develop also the communication. And African Academy of Languages as a, the AU institution has this task ahead. And Today we have organized uh, the whole continent uh, in order to have, to develop uh, language commissions about the, what we call the vehicular cross-border languages. And for the moment we have sorted 41, which are the big languages uh, which are shared by several countries. And uh, from that, we can really achieve the integration of Africa. For example, in West Africa, uh, you have, we have for the moment chosen 
three of them, Hausa, Fulfulde, and Mandinka. In Northern Africa, uh, Standard Arabic and Berber. In East Africa, Kiswahili, Somali, and Malagasy. In Southern Africa, Tinyanja Chichewa and Tetswana. In Central Africa, Lingala and Betifang. You see? And these languages are shared by several countries. But inside each country of Africa, Akalan will help each state, member state, to develop all the languages of the territory. Based on this approach, which is a uh, multilingual uh, convival uh, functional multilingualism, convival functional multilingualism. So, uh, I, I am sure that um, developing all the languages, the African countries could choose one of them to be, or several of them to be, language of communication at the regional level uh, within the regional economic communities today. And at the continental level, uh, the most vehicular languages could be part of the working languages of the EU, like Kiswahili, for example, which is already adopted as the working language of African Union. Okay. Um, hello, my name is Natalie Wamboigidoku. I'm from Kenya. Um, in your talk earlier, you mentioned the African Union inter-dialogue um, between the youth leaders and the heads of state. Now, I happen to be at that conference, and um, you know, and I was one of the people who brought up the need and. The, you know, the need for the United States of Africa passport. And when we brought it up, I don't know if you were there, but when you... I was there. Yes, I mean, you saw how um, the president of, of Zambia, Mr. Michael Sata, quickly rebuked this idea and said, you know, how, how, can, we, how can we have this by next year? You people are too um, ambitious and all of this. And we understand the political side of this, but um, my question is, why is it that we speak so much and so big about this um, pan-African and African renaissance that we're going through right now, but then when it, when it comes to really installing these policies that are needed, you know, now certain barriers come, and come up and bureaucracy and so forth. And also, as we the youth, the future leaders of our continent, um, my question would be, what do you feel, what do you think are the certain things that we can do to make sure that we do not um, struggle with these persisting constraints that our forefathers have had to handle. Hi, my name is Ahmed and I'm a Worcester graduate student here at LSE. Since you spoke about the pan-Africanism and ideology and the solidarity, I think it's very important that we focus about the struggle that Africa has economically, politically, and uh, the corruption everywhere. Uh, since you, you mentioned something about the, the African Union, and I would really like to give us a simple example about Mali, for example, the conflict in Mali. So I feel that Africa is still dependent on the West to solve their problems. When do you think Africa will stand and will be able to face their problems without dependency on the West to intervene and solve their own problems? Thank you. Uh, yeah, hi. Uh, 
Thank you for the, for the uh, presentation. Now, my, my question is uh, focusing on the uh, other side of the coin, as it were, which is the diaspora Africans. Um, uh, now, if language is very important to Africans, and then on the, on the, on the, on the one hand, we have diaspora Africans uh, all over the Caribbean, here in Britain, who do not possess these African languages and as a result have felt no connection with Africa. And I've seen this in practice. You know, people are speaking in African languages, uh, diaspora Africans recoil or are, for want of a better word, disgusted in some cases. You know, they, instead of being drawn uh, to those languages, you know, having an interest in saying, uh, you know, there is that disconnection um, and language, it seems to me, um, whereas, as you say, Pan-Africanism was a bridge uh, between diaspora Africans and continental Africans. Now we see that bridge has been destroyed. You know, there's not that link anymore. And you see this in everyday practice. So how do we then deal with our diaspora uh, African brothers and sisters who have not got this language? Uh, 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 languages in Africa. And my quick second question, um, can I just have a confirmation perhaps from the family here? What was uh, Biko's name? Was it Bantu, Stephen Biko, or Stephen Bantu Biko? Because I have a question depending on the answer. Bantu, Stephen Biko. Ah, right. Now, my question is, you again said uh, uh, African languages. Yeah. I'm still on African languages. Yeah. And uh, it seems to me he was a contradiction because he had an African name in an African language, but it's the Steve Biko Foundation. Can I implore the foundation to rethink that and rename it the Bantu Biko Foundation, please? That's what the family response. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Maggie and I'm a PhD candidate here at um, LSE. I just wanted a little bit more on your opinion of Pan-Africanism today. I'm from Kenya and as you know, as you're aware, we're going through the ICC trials of our president and deputy president. And recently the AU stood up as well and uh, has asked the UN to basically delay the trials. And there's a very strong anti-West narrative happening right now at home. And I just wanted a little bit of your opinion on where you situate Pan-Africanism in that context. Thank you. Um, I think the first question was about uh, um, about Mali. No, uh, the first one was. Can you let me? I, I, I wrote it, but I don't. Pan Africanism. Pan African passport. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yes, I was there. But you see, what can I say? It is up to you the young generation, to take advantage of knowing what was done in the past about the efforts to realize the dream of Pan-Africanism, to understand what were the difficulties and to overcome these difficulties if you are convinced in the use of Pan-Africanism, the 
useful, usefulness of Pan-Africanism. You were there, and uh, all the young people who were there were very shocked by some attitudes of some head of states and government. Uh, my belief is that uh, the world situation is bringing us back to ourselves. Because with the globalization, we have no choice than unite ourselves or perish. It was the same situation when Krumah was saying Africa must unite or perish. But in order to achieve the Pan-Africanism, I would say not within 50 years, because it is too long, let us say in the 20, 25 years to come, we need to have the right strategy. And the right strategy is not the political factors, is not the economic factors, as I said in my, in my talk. It is the consciousness of our commonality, cultural commonality. Uh, and the young people could understand it better if uh, we were to organize uh, this uh, sensitization uh, through uh, education in all our schools. Today, practically nowhere Pan-Africanism is taught. The general history of Africa is not used everywhere. I'm coming from Accra, where we had the meeting about um, the use, pedagogical use of general history of Africa. And uh, the fact is that today, for 50 years, the countries have been developing national histories rather than Pan-African history. So with such an attitude, you cannot develop the feeling of African citizenship. But I do believe that the, the practice is again in, in, in March, uh, it started again. And your meeting with uh, the, the head of states gave us, for example, we all were there, uh, a good feeling of what could be done if, if we come back to our fundamentals. So I think it's a process in which you have a key role to play. Uh, but of course, the states must organize the situation in order to give the possibility for you to know. But not only the states. As I said in my speech, civil society must do a lot. And today, su such organizations like the CIVBICO Foundation and other Pan-African networks in the continent and outside uh, will help a lot to um, uh, build this consciousness in the 21st century. And you know the diaspora is doing a lot. Pan-Africanism started in the diaspora. The revitalization of Pan-Africanism will be absolutely um, supported by the diaspora itself because Brazil has shown the, the way. Uh, you remember uh, this law uh, taken by President Lula to make of the teaching of history of Africa mandatory in Brazil. It was done n nowhere in Africa, but it was done in the diaspora because Brazil, the population of Brazil 
is 50, about 50% 50 Afro-descendant. You see? So it's up to us to, to, to remobilize ourselves. Yeah, about Mali, you know, this is our failure. If we were to realize the vision of Kwame Nkrumah, saying that we need to have a common defense organization, and even the, the, the nowadays, uh, for years now, there is a debate about the, how to say it in English, the force, African force, standby force. No way. And we were being waiting for Africans to organize themselves to come and help Mali, even ECOWAS. And Mali was obliged to call upon the former colonial master. What a shame. But it has been done, and thanks to them, yeah, thanks to them, we, we must be, come on, this, uh, recognize that they helped us to stop this process. But it's a big lesson for Africa. Let us today show to African heads of states that it is a failure and we must revitalize this process. And uh, uh, um, I think it is not only at the level of the continent. We need maybe to come back to a kind of like-minded countries who could first start, like it was done with the Federation of Mali, with Ghana, Guinea, Mali at that time. The leaders were of the same ideology, Kwame Nkrumah, Sekuture, Modibo Keita, they started the first um, uh, union. So I think we need to maybe come back to this and, and then hopefully uh, to uh, impose um, this uh, uh, common vision of a common government and uh, common force armies, etc. Um, yeah, my brother, you are from the diaspora? No. no, okay. But, no, no, this is a tough question. But I think what is normal for the continent is not relevant uh, at this stage for the diaspora. The diaspora has done a lot to uh, keep alive the origin of the Afro-descendant. And, yeah, and a good job has been done in the Afro-centric studies everywhere in the diaspora. In the United States, in the Caribbean, Jamaica, and all these things. The culture is not only the language. The culture is, and it is seen in all, in music, in all the attitudes of Africans. And, and radically we say, when I'm here, uh, when I'm in the streets, they don't say you are a Malian, they say you are an African. And they see you are, it's not only the skin, it's also the way I behave. So, uh, cultural traits uh, could be strengthened in the diaspora in order to keep them uh, in linked, not disconnected with the continent. And they know that. In fact, also, African Union has taken a very important, deci important decision to make of the diaspora the sixth region of Africa. So it is a political decision which must be implemented in several ways, culturally, economically, scientifically, and this is still to happen. And I, I am confident because 
um, uh, within this new process of uh, awareness of a new Pan-African consciousness, this fifth region could really be um, a reality very soon. And in fact, about one of the points I, I, I stressed, the general history of Africa, Brazil has taken the decision to help UNESCO and African Union to fund the ninth volume of the general history of Africa. Because we have so far eight volumes. It started in 1964, ended in 1999, and only in 2009 this pedagogical use of uh, his general history was put in place. But so far we need to, from 1999 to today, a lot of changes has happened in Africa. Uh, at the political level, economic level, environmental level, cultural level. So we need to update within a ninth volume the African situation and also to take into account the diaspora. So Brazil has helped to do that and I think it will help also to enhance Pan-Africanism and African Renaissance today. Um, yeah, this question to the family. As I am from a family, I can start. I, I think, I think uh, uh, you, you know, he has chosen himself. Steve, Steve Biko was born 18 December 1946. I was born 1st of November. 1946. That's why I say my brother. When I met Nkosinati's mother and when I went to the grave, I was really moved because I, I think we are the same. Uh, yeah. So I knew his history. I, he has chosen exactly Bantu Stephen Biko in order not to be named after Stephen, just like this. But now for the foundation, yeah, please. <laughs> yeah. I understand where the question comes from and the importance of uh, symbolism. Uh, I must say, though, that the ultimate affirmation of uh, Bandu Steve Biko comes not perhaps from what combination of his name we choose. It lies in his life's work. And the ultimate affirmation of Steve Biko is in fact in the work that we do. So on this one, uh, if you feel conflicted between symbolism and, uh, and uh, substance, uh, I've chosen substance. And knowing that we are not compromising the symbolism, Steve Biko, even if you called him that, is actually a very empowered name, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, let me just give you another dimension to that debate. The name Bandu, uh, which means one for the people, has been used in South Africa in the negative, and it's been used with a hard rather than silent B, Bandu, and has become disempowered in that context, in the same way that the name native and tribe yes. have been used in a disempowered fashion. So to the extent that a part of what we do extends well beyond just the South African context, uh, we simply went with the name Steve Biko, which is his name, which he also embraced, which is an empowered name. Thanks. The, the last question about ICC. I knew that this question will be raised. 
And my, my, you know, my concern is to say, unfortunately, we are witnessing the, how to say it, the weakness of Africa. Because if you see the reality of the situation of ICC, only African leaders were, uh, how to say it, put into uh, huh? trial by this institution. I am not, uh, how to say it, uh, uh, I'm not uh, supporting bad governance in the countries, but I think there is a problem. There is a problem and then we need maybe to rethink if we have to put on trail people, it is up to us to do it first, not to the others, to impose something. Steve Biko said it, and I agree with you. Well, um, I'm, I'm going to be play the last role. I have, I have to stop this meeting now because of the rules are at 8 o'clock. And um, uh, but before I just express my gratitude, just to abuse my position as a chair to remind us of the importance of consciousness. Just a couple of days ago, the, the President of South Africa, President uh, Jacob Zuma, urged his people not to think like Africans, um, because apparently South Africans were, were beginning to think like Africans about something, and he didn't like that, so he said they shouldn't think like Africans. Uh, and I think this perhaps points <laughs> to the importance of, uh, of, of, of consciousness there. One great puzzle of Africa, which I mean, uh, that you highlighted, the question of culture, is that I don't know of any continent which is sung about as much as Africa. You, every African musician has sung a song about Africa. Okay. Uh, I, there's no continent which is painted as often as Africa. No continent I know of where there, there's so much sculpture about Africa, earrings about Africa, uh, monuments about Africa. And there is no continent where so many poets have written about a continent as Africa is. So there's a puzzle. On one hand, a very strong cultural consciousness of the continent's existence and a complete absence of political and economic institutions that somehow bring these things together. And I'm glad that you, you, you reminded us of, of the importance of this cultural basis. So I'd like to invite the audience, I think, to, to join me in thanking our speaker for the most, I think, thoughtful and most provocative remarks that I've heard. And thanks for your attendance and for, for being with us. Thank you very much. Um, in appreciation of Mr. Samaseku's time and coming to be with us here today, both the LSC and the Steve Biko Foundation are presenting him with a certificate um, in appreciation of his delivery of the second annual Steve Biko Memorial Lecture Europe.